March 10th, 2023. We're in Masechet Beza, we're on the Yod Amud Bet, and we're going to begin in just a moment or two from five lines from the top at the Mishnah, the next Mishnah. Before we begin with that Mishnah, though, I want to just return for a moment to the last line in the, the Gemara that preceded that Mishnah. So the last line was in the concluding sentences with regards to what the previous Mishnah was referring to. We had a Bet Shamayim Bet but... Fundamentally, it was a question and a situation in which a person needs to designate which one of the birds they're going to take from and eat on the holiday, right? Entering into the holiday, you're dealing with young birds, as Jared importantly pointed out. If it was grown birds that are purposed to be eaten anyway, so then you wouldn't need to designate them. It's birds that weren't necessarily designated to be eaten. They're young birds, they're in this in-between stage. The halakha is you need to designate them before the holiday. You need to say, I'm going to take from this. And the Gemara was debating uh, the specifics with regards to the opinions of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Ultimately speaking, one of those last two answers, the final answer in the Gemara with regards to explaining the opinion of Beit Hillel was that if a person isn't to specify, forget about touching and picking up, but just to specify which one of those birds he or she is going to use on the holiday, the fear is you'll come to the holiday, you'll look at them and you'll say, ah, this one's a little too skinny, that one's a little not ready, and as a result, you'll come to be prevented from fulfilling the mitzvah of simhat yom tob, which means to say you won't rejoice appropriately. The fact that you said with your mouth beforehand, I will eat from this one and that one, means even if you come on the holiday and they're a little too skinny, a little not as prepared as you maybe wanted them to be, you're still going to use them because your word, uh, so to speak, is your mark of truth and you're going to follow through with it. It's that last line in the Gemara which talks about birds being used in the context of Simhat Yom Tov that actually gets entered into a larger conversation with regards to this mitzvah which the Torah prescribes in more than one place of Simhat Yom Tov rejoicing on the holiday. So for a moment or two or three I want to talk about it and explain to you how this Gemara gets entered into the fold. There is a question with regards to the applicability of this mitzvah of Simhat Yom Tov Bizman Hazeh. And what I mean by that is after the destruction of the Mikdash. When the Torah, when we read in the Torah that you have to rejoice on the holiday, really what the Torah is referring to is what's called Korban Shalme Simcha. You would bring a sacrifice, you'd slaughter it, give some to God, so to speak, and then you'd eat some of it. That was Shalme Simcha. It was a responsibility, it was a mitzvah that you had to bring on the festival. Shalme Simcha. So when we read about the rejoicing, I know it was very much about them smiling and laughing and spending time together, but primarily that was fulfilled in the objective sense, so to speak, with Shalme Simcha. We no longer have a mikdash. We're not slaughtering sacrifices and enjoying them on our own while giving some to God. Is there an applicability? Does that uh, apply to us today? This mitzvah simchat yom tov. In a somewhat famous uh, statement, Tosafot in Masechet Moed Katan and Daf Yodal, it suggests that today it's only mitrabanan. It's important, but it's rabbinic in nature. The mitzvah simchat yom tov 
it primarily, according to the Torah, is only with Shalmei Simcha. You don't have a Korban Shilamim any longer. No longer applicable biblically this mitzvah of Simchat Yom Tov. Harambam, in contrast, in Perikvav Vilchot Yom Tov, states unequivocally, clearly, the mitzvah is applicable even today. How do you fulfill it today? Writes Harambam, men do it with meat and with wine. We've mentioned those words on many occasions. And Simcha Ela Bebasad Vayayin. Say it again. Prayer, it always takes the place to a certain extent of korban, but in terms of rejoicing, so to speak, on the holiday, you do it with meat and with wine, festive meals, engaging and involving yourself with family members. Those are the words of Haram Bam Perek Vav Hilchot Yom Tov. So that's stage one with regards to applicability. Shohan Aruch in Siman Taf Kof Kaf Tet is posek like Haram Bam. We have this mitzvah Simchat Yom Tov. Even Bizman Azeh, even today, means you're fulfilling a biblical mandate of Simchat Yom Tov, rejoicing on the holiday, through certain activities. Shohan Aruch, however, has a significant adjustment. He explains himself earlier in his book, Bet Yosef, and he says it's not fulfilled any longer with meat, it's only with wine. He's basing himself on a Gemara in Masech Pesachim and Daf Koftet. The Gemara over there cites a Beraita where Rabbi Huda ben Betera is of the opinion that Bizman Hazeh, after the destruction of the Mikdash, and Simcha Elabe Yain. When you had the Mikdash, it was fulfilled, so to speak, primarily with Shalmei Simcha, with the meat and the flesh of that sacrifice. Today, we don't have the meat and flesh of that sacrifice, we do it just with wine. That's Shulchan Aruch's Pesach Halacha. There is a contradiction of sorts, very relevant to a day or two ago, in Shulchan Aruch, because in Siman Tafresh Tzadivav, Shulchan Aruch writes that on Purim, which is also a day of Simcha, we fulfill it not only with wine, he writes in Sa'ivav, but with meat as well. That's interesting, I thought you told me when it comes to holidays, we no longer do it with meat. The truth is that in terms of explaining how it could be even with meat today, is Yamshel Shelomo, Rabbi Shelomo Luria, suggests that when the Gemara, Rabbi Yehuda, Ben Betera suggests that today it's only with wine. He didn't mean only with wine. He means Bisman HaMikdash, it was only with meat. Today it's with meat and wine. All right, let's settle the dust for a moment then before our last stage. And so it goes like this. Is there a mitzvah of rejoicing on the holiday biblically today or not? We assume like Harambam, Shohan Aruch goes that way, that it's applicable even today, even Bisman Azeh. There's in fact a proof that's brought from Sha'agat Aryeh, a very well-known proof with regards to Avelut, um, being Nidhe even on Yom Rishon from Yom Tob. That's how we go on this matter. You're fulfilling when Pesach comes around the corner, a mitzvah from the Torah if you do appropriate actions. That's stage one. Stage two, how do you fulfill it? Harambam said meat and wine. Shohan Aruch said only wine. We, generally speaking, veer on the side of Harambam, interestingly. We notice that contradiction in Shuhan Aruch, and we suggest that everyone have meat and wine, if appropriate, if it's something that's going to cause rejoicing for you and for your family over the course of every festival. What about, last stage, is it specifically animal meat or even bird meat? Can chicken fulfill this mitzvah? Again, we're assuming min Torah of Simchat Yom Tov, Again, chicken, is it appropriate or not? Many point to the Gemara in Masechet Hagiga and Dafhet, where the Gemara describes how the Shalmei Simcha, remember the sacrifice that was brought once upon a time, was only to be brought from animal flesh, not from bird flesh. Well, if that's the case, it means that true happiness and true rejoicing was with steak, 
Not with, uh, I don't know, filet mignon. Hey, you have to do it a pro. Is it kosher filet mignon? No, all right. Well, there you go. It shows you that I don't even know what I'm talking about. And not with, uh, but they must have fake ones for the Jews, no? Not with chicken. I was not trying with schnitzel. Not with schnitzel. All right. I was trying to be cultured, and there I exposed my amaratzas. Anyway, so, that's a, so that, that is a, a debate in this context. Hacham Ovadia Yosef, among many others, in his Shailot to Shabbat, Yehavedat, Helekvav, and Siman Lamid Gimal, brings a proof from our Gemara that you can fulfill it even with chicken. How does he describe that from our Gemara? How does he see that here? Well, you may have forgotten. I know it's been a few minutes of my uh, uh, rambling on, but you may have forgotten where we began this whole conversation. The Gemara said, remember, you have to designate before the holiday which one of those birds you're going to eat from because if you don't, you're going to come to prevent yourself from fulfilling. You heard those words, rejoicing on the holiday is fulfilled even through, we're not talking about cows or uh, anything uh, out in the field, we're talking about from your chicken coop. We're talking about doves. We're talking about birds. It appears, says Hacham Yosef, from this Gemara and several other sources, that it can and will be fulfilled even with chicken. He writes it specifically that if you're eating chicken for health reasons or because uh, you have difficulty eating the meat because of kashrut reasons, then it's permitted, of course, to eat from chicken. I extend it, as do many of the postgame, if for whatever reason it's lighter or financially if a person can't afford it in the same, whatever the circumstances, why ever, whatever the situation is, that you want to have chicken, you can. And again, this Gemara, ironically, is one of the major sources brought with regards to chicken as a fulfillment of Simhat Yom Tov. Okay, that's that conversation. Now, let's begin with this next Mishnah. This next Mishnah continues the conversation, but it's from a new angle, with regards to designating the birds before the holiday, which ones you're going to eat from, which ones you're going to slaughter on the holiday. Remember, our last Mishnah told us there's a dispute exactly how to do so, but we understood you have to do so. Says our Mishnah, here's some details. Again, why do you have to do so? Let's just review that quickly. So there's no issue of mukse. There's no issue of this wasn't prepared and in my mind entering into the holiday. Says this next Mishnah, zimen. Zimen means you designated. We've talked about this on more than one occasion. The word zeman in Hebrew is an interesting word. The word zeman we usually say is time, but fascinatingly, zimen means to designate. Hazmana means that I'm inviting you. If I uh, do a zimun, it means we're designating this group to uh, prepare ourselves and to involve ourselves in Birkat Amazon. What's that shorish zayin mem nun in Hebrew? To specify, to designate, it means that time as well in Judaism or in Torah language is to be imagined as a specified and designated reality which means to say, and here's somewhat metaphysical, every time, every year we re-encounter Pesach, we're going back into a designated period, existentially. There's something about that time that we're tapping into. Different coordinates, we're in 2023, uh, 100 years ago, it was not the same context. It was different places and different surroundings and different foods, but fundamentally, as a person, we are now designating that period in this spiral effect of time where we're just revisiting the time that was there long ago. It's for that reason that Harambam, 
who's ever the rationalist, he writes about Shabbat, it's Yom HaMuchan Lefur'anut. It's a day which is set aside for catastrophe, for terrible things to happen. What type of description is that? The time, the period, is a reality in and of itself. Lizamin means to designate, to specify. It's something which is set apart. That's very much what ziman in in Hebrew, in Torah, in, in Judaism means. It lends all sorts of meaning, in my opinion, to every one of the holidays. I'm not just experiencing the holiday heke, I'm tapping into reality. You ever feel the experience on one holiday is qualitatively different than the other? Yeah, it's just because the family was different. No, there's something about the time. I can't explain, I can't prove it to you. I can tell you that if you've experienced life and you've truly lived Judaism, you appreciate zeman, time in Judaism, as being something which is, again, that word existentially having to do with existence, unique. It's something which is metaphysically above the physical uh, a certain reality. Okay, that's what that word zeman, zeman means zimen shehorim. I think we need to learn a little. Zimen shehorim umasa levanim. What if before the holiday you uh, designated uh, several birds and they were black birds? You come on the holiday to the same area where you had designated them, the same uh, nest, and they're now white. Now, instead of imagining this was a Yaakov story and they miraculously changed their colors, apparently it's different birds. Levanim, the flip side, if it was white ones, umasash yehorim, and then you come on the holiday and they're black ones. Lastly, shenaim umasash yeloshah, before the holiday you looked into that uh, hole over there and you see, oh, there's two birds, two doves. Oh, well, those two I'm going to take tomorrow. Those are the ones I'm designating. You will come the next day, and there's three in there. In each of those three circumstances, asurim. We say that the birds are now asur, they're prohibited. Why? They're mukseh. The ones that you designated are not the ones that are there. First two, we understand. The white ones and black ones, they didn't just miraculously change. It's different birds. They flew away, and other ones came. What about the two and three situation? Well, the Gemara says the two and three situation, not so fast. It goes like this. If it's really the same two and a third one came, I don't know which one came. Misafik, they're all asur. If alternatively, um, it's a brand new three, so of course they're all asur. I didn't designate any of them. So the two and three situation is as well prohibited because you can't with certainty know which two are the ones you were misamin. What's that? We're getting there right now. We don't assume they changed colors. It's different birds. Two, uh, black and white. Whichever way it is. That doesn't make a difference. You might ask, why do we need to specify? The Gemara will get into that. Why did you say black to white and white to black? We got it. If it's not the same ones, it's not okay. The Gemara gives a clever interpretation at the very onset. Lastly, and in contrast to all of these which are asur, what if it was shiloshah? You designated three, you come the next day, in that circumstance, we do assume that the third one made its way off of the, 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 the nest uh, to somewhere else, and the two that are remaining, you're actually designated. What about if it's betoch hakin, hakin, you designated before the holiday, those two which are in the nesting area, inside that hole in the house area, and now you find them on the uh, perch in front of it, asurin. Well, they're asur. Amazingly, we assume that the ones that are on the perch are not the same ones you saw before him.
ואם אין שם אלא הם, הרי אלו מותרים. However, if the only ones in the vicinity, we'll have to define accordingly, are these birds, okay, so the ones that were inside are now perched on the outside, and I can assume they're different ones. It is important to note as well, Shohan Aruch makes clear that in all of these cases, including, I guess, although he doesn't say it, the black and white, if you have some sort of mark, if you are able to tell this is that bird, of course it's going to be permitted. This is not something that defies logic. The idea in all these circumstances is you're not certain. We're going to tell you what that is. If you're certain, this is the same bird, so it's the same bird. It miraculously changed its color overnight. Mabruk, and now you have a new colored bird. You're certain that the three that were there yesterday, these are two of them. You know them well. You mark them. Those are permitted as well. We're talking about cases where it's not, the, it's not so. Says the Gemara Peshita. Those first several cases in the Mishnah, the black and white and white and black, that's pashut, it's very simple. It's not the same birds. Why would you say it's permitted? Amar Rabbah says, Rabbah, it's a little bit more complicated. The Mishnah was shorthanded, written, and as a result, you have to fill in some of the details. Here, what are we perhaps dealing with? Kigon, for example, shizimen shehorim ulevanim. The case is not, as we read it, two separate situations, white and you found black, black and you found white. It's rather you were mizamin, you designated black and white ones, and vihishkim, and in the morning, on the holiday, you woke up, umasa, shehorim b'makom levanim, levanim b'makom shehorim. So imagine it as follows. Well, no, not so fast. You have, uh, let's say, two levels in your nesting area, right? Imagine it's like this big treehouse type of thing, or excuse me, a pigeon holes, that's right. I, I meant a birdhouse thing. So two pigeon holes, and in the top one, it's black ones, and the bottom one, it's white ones, or vice versa. The next day you come, and it's flipped. They're all still there. There's just, they're flipped. What's the halakha in such a circumstance? Again, uh, it's the same amount of birds and the same color birds, but they're not in their homes. What happened over here? Mahu you perhaps would say, Hane, these, inhu, ninhu, are the same ones. And the only thing that happened was, itapuche, itapuch. They just flipped places. They decided they wanted to take a different home today. And uh, the black ones went upstairs and the, and the white ones went downstairs, but they're all the same ones. Kamashma'lan, we learned from the Mishnah that we don't assume that way. Rather, hanach azdu le'alma, we assume instead that all the amount of birds that you designated, the black and white ones, they already flew away. The hane and the ones that are here now, aharine ninhu, they're different ones. What's that? Asur, that's the Mishnah told us. There's no other birds that with the net. What is that the net? The end of the Mishnah told us if the mutarim, no question. We're talking about when there are other birds. I mean, where are you really going to find a place where there's only those birds? Oh, there's birds everywhere. Unless you have some exotic birds and you're the only ones who own them, one who owns them. Why do you assume that the two white birds you designated before, maybe those changed also? Again, you would have imagined that. We assume, uh, I, I guess we're going statistically over here in some respect, not that I have the analysis. Same pigeon, same color, same number. I mean, come on, you think they moved? I guess you got to pay attention and work on a farm, me and you, in order to understand how this thing works. But apparently, we can and should assume so. No question. A sealed room, no question. That's what I was mentioning earlier. If you're certain, that's certainty. There's not, that's Ensham Elohim. We're talking about it's out in the open, which apparently is the way they did or do have these sorts of situations. Says the Gemara, Lema, perhaps we should say, Mesaye ale lirbi hanina. 
And maybe what we just learned uh, supports Rabbi Hanina's notion. Now, before we read Rabbi Hanina, let me mention to you that we're already, in this Masechet in general, learning Gemara, familiar with the fact that the rabbis are enchanted by safik. Doubt is always something on their mind. How do you determine, how do you discern in a circumstance of doubt? How do we find an operative mission, a way that we're going to go? So the Torah gives us some clues with regards to that. The Torah, for example, in the context of a Din of judges says, we go based on majority. That's what we call a rov. The rabbis, in turn, apply that. And elsewhere, they apply that to every circumstance. We go based on majority. If you have several shops on uh, Avenue U, and uh, most of them are kosher, and one of them is not kosher, and you find meat outside, called the parish, meruba parish. We assume it came out of the majority of those shops, and you're allowed to eat it. A little bit disgusting. Might have other issues with it, but that would be the halakha fundamentally. You go based on the majority. Mind be. Okay. Uh, over here, we're going to apply. We're going to apply across. All right. So that's one principle. One principle is rov. The other principle is, in a situation of doubt, what's one of the most paradigmatic, the best examples in the Torah of doubt? Mars, you're going to miss it. What's one of the examples of doubt? It's the situation in Devarim Perekafalif. It's Egla Arufa. A body is found, a corpse in between two cities. You're not certain where the corpse came from. And we can't persecute, we can't prosecute the person who killed. We don't know who killed. But we want to look to the leadership of each of those cities to take responsibility. Which one of the cities did it come from? So the Torah says, we measure from each of the cities and we determine which one of those cities is this corpse closer to and we assume it came from that one. It's in a case of doubt, we utilize a different mechanism to determining the reality. Instead of going based on majority, we go based on karov, how close distance. So what happens if I have a situation, for argument's sake, where I have majority and distance in terms of closeness going up one against the other. On the one hand, I'm uncertain about this item, whatever it is, it's closer to X, but the majority is Y. How do I determine the reality of this? You understand? We have two mechanisms which the Torah provides for us for determining how to deal with doubt, safik, either rov, majority, or karov, how close it is. What if they go up and they conflict one with the other? So Rabbi Hanina has a claim on this, says the Gemara, and we can somehow prove from our Gemara something like Rabbi Hanina. Again, says the Gemara, Lema, in the middle of the Amud over here, Misaye what we just learned, what we just suggest, maybe it, pr- it provides a source for Rabbi Hanina's notion, Rabbi Hanina, the Amar Rabbi Hanina, Rov, Vikarov, Halech, Ahar Harov. The principle of Rabbi Hanina is if I'm to determine distance versus majority, which one wins? The majority wins. So for example, Rabbi Hanina would tell you that the case in the Torah, the Egla Arufah, the corpse found in between the two cities, is that the two cities have the same amount of people in them. Because otherwise you're not going to go based on which one it's closer to, you're going to go based on the majority of people. But that's his principle. The principle of Rabbi Hanina is which one trumps in terms of our understanding of which one it's going to determine, it's going to be the Rov. How's that relevant to our situation? Well, let's think about our situation for just a moment. We're talking about these birds. And these birds, in turn, uh, were uncertain where these birds came from. 
And I have over here black birds and white birds, and they may have flipped places, same amount of birds, same types of birds, but some are up and some are down, and yesterday those same colors, some were down and some were up. What am I saying, tells us the Mishnah. I'm saying, according to the Mishnah, these are not the same birds as yesterday. Why am I assuming they're not the same birds as yesterday? Because I'm going based on majority. Majority of birds in this world, in this vicinity, are not from your dove coat. They are instead from outside. Again, let's review it again. The situation is such, imagine a pigeonhole. You have to, but hang on. You have the pigeonholes, you have the top and the bottom one, right? I'm uncertain the birds in the top and the bottom one. I have good reason to believe they're the same birds, but they're not in the same place. Tells us the Mishnah, according to our interpretation of the Gemara, what do we, how do we determine where these birds came from? We're going, here's the key line, based on majority. What do you mean majority? We're going based on majority of birds around. The the fact that these birds are not in the same place as yesterday tells me I have a situation of doubt. Doubt. How do I determine this? the quality or the identity of these birds goes based on the majority? What's the majority of birds? What are you talking about majority of birds? You know there are hundreds and thousands and millions of birds and they're all over the place. And, as we, and, and whatever we're dealing with doves over here, millions of doves as well. It means that the doves that I find in here, I'm uncertain about their identity. Let's assume they came from the majority of birds in the world. What are the majority of birds in the world? Not the ones that were owned by me and I designated beforehand. But wait a second. Which is closer, the, dozen, the millions of birds in the world or the ones that were in this uh, dove coat yesterday? The ones that were in this, these pigeonholes yesterday. Of course, it's the ones that were in these pigeonholes yesterday. You understand? We have going up one against the other. Majority versus karo versus proximity. And which one's winning? Majority. Ah, says the Gemara. We might have a proof then for Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina's claim was when I have majority versus proximity, majority will determine as opposed to proximity. What's closer or what's the majority? Majority wins. Go ahead. In what circumstance? You are right. In the context of birds, it's always going to be majority. If I have a makush, if I have, oh, it's quite a chidush karov. I have proximity. Which birds were closer yesterday to these two holes? The ones that were up and the ones that were down. I should probably assume it's those same birds now. But instead, I'm going based on majority. If I use the majority in a particular city, not the world. Go city. Uh, how many birds did you designate? How big was... Uh, how again, if it's on that farm, uh, even on that farm, the major, even on that farm, we assume there's a majority of birds aside from... How many people you're having for lunch that you designate? How many birds did you designate? Five birds? You got 400 birds around. There's going to be a majority, even if you have six birds aside from the five, that's majority as well. So as a result, the Gemara thinks that we have a proof for Bihanina. Says the Gemara, not a good enough proof. Abaye explains our Mishnah in just a moment or two later on in the Gemara that the situation with regards to this, again, we're calling it a dove coat, right? With regards to this nesting area of the birds is such that there's a daf. A daf means there's a perching area. So. Whereas these are the holes wherein the doves are hanging out. You see the, the tissues, that's the area. But then there's a perch at the bottom of it. The perch at the bottom of it, that daff, that area that protrudes, is where they hang out. They uh, socialize one with the other. When they go in to sleep and to eat, they enter into the hole. Heke, that's the daff. As a result, explains the Gemara, it's not really a karov, a proximity versus a majority, because who could hang out on that perch outside? 
outside. Every bird could hang out on that perch outside. The birds that are both a part of this home and a part of the home across the street or down the road or whatever it is, it means that I'm not going rov majority versus karov proximity. They're all close proximity. And as a result, it's a majority and proximity versus proximity. Majority is going to win. You don't have a clear enough proof for it to be Hanina from our Mishnah. All right, the Gemara moves on and said, if you recall, the Mishnah said after the black and white birds, Shenaim umatza shelosha asurin. Remember the situation? If you had two birds and you designated those two and they were in this area and you woke up in the morning, there are three there, they're all asur. Says the Gemara, I'll tell you why. I told you this already. We talked about this in the Mishnah already. Manafshach. Manafshach means either way you go in terms of understanding this situation, it's going to be Asur. If these three birds are altogether different birds than the ones you designated, okay? They're different birds. They weren't designated. They're ninhu. If they're not different birds, in other words, it's really the two birds plus one new bird. It means there's one which is mixed in together with them. I don't know which one it is. They're all asu. Any questions? Yeah, Go ahead. Ah, oh, what happened to majority? Thank you. Footnotes or just on your own? Okay. Says, says, says Jared, what about majority? Let me repeat to you the last line here in the Gemara. The last line in the Gemara says, listen, if it's a new three, of course, a new three are all going to be Asur. If it's the two that were there originally, but it's another one, I don't know which one it is, they're all going to be Asur because I'm uncertain. What about majority? We've been talking about majority. We- if it is, no, you don't know they're the same two. But the point is over here, why am I saying when there was two and now there's three, it's Asur? Uh, maybe it's not Asur. No, because it might be that they're a brand new three. That's right. But it might be that they're not a brand new three. And the two are the originals. And there's a, one additional one. On that side, says the Gemara, it's still going to be Asur. Why is it still going to be Asur? On the, again, I have two, two ways. On that side, why don't I say that the two outweighs the one, and in turn, I, I don't, but it, 100%. But Again, I had two here originally. For example, I go to sleep and there were two, and I come out in the morning, I assume they're the same two. That's right. If there's two there in the same color, I assume they're the same two. In a different number, that's what makes it complicated. If they're a different other number, it could either be all two left, and these three are brand new, that's of, short, of course going to be Asur. Alternatively, let's assume like we normally would. It's the same two plus an additional one. Okay, that would be Mutar, wouldn't it? Says the Gemara, even that would be Asur. Why would even that be Asur? The two that were there, I designated. The third one, I'm uncertain. Take two of them. They're all going to be permitted. We have Bitul Berov. Tosafot asks this question, they give two answers. One answer is when it comes to Ba'ale Hayim, based on the Gemara and Zivahim and Daf'ain Gima, when it comes to animals, we don't have Bitul. Animals, much like human beings, there's no such thing as Bitul, they're the Hashuv. We look at, might be Hashivut is dependent upon living, it's Mahlok, but we assume that way, indeed. And when you have some, let's say it that way, when you have a living organism, when you have a being, an animal, a person, no Beatles, no such thing as it getting mixed up and losing its identity. It keeps its, it maintains its identity. We've talked about this concept of davar hashuv of birya. That's the first answer of Tosafot. Second answer of Tosafot brings us back to davgim alamudbet. Remember the concept davar sheyesh lo matirin. Remember the idea that if something will become permitted later on. Remember that idea. For example, hametz. If something's hametz on the holiday, it'll be permitted afterwards. There's no bitul. We don't say rov in that circumstance. Rashi's interpretation. If you're calling davgim 
Shabbos. Instead of eating it now, see, eat it after the holiday. And was, uh, we're not going to let you have bitul over here. We're going to tell you, you have to wait until after the holiday. That was the idea over here. What are we talking about? Mukseh. Mukseh will be permitted after the holiday. Much like Hamet. So too over here. All right, that's the mechanics with regards to that. Just a bit more here in the Gemara. It says the Gemara, Right, that was the next line in the Mishnah. Next line in the Mishnah was, I designated before the holiday three, or there were three in the place, and then I wake up in the morning and there are only two. They're permitted. My ta'ama, what's the reason, says the Gemara, Hane, we should assume, Hane, these, Inhu, Ninhu, are the same ones, Vehad Minayu, and one of them, Azal Le'alma, went to fly off to find better and greater places. The Gemara doesn't call it majority, um, but it does tell us that we're assuming that the two which are left are the ones that were there beforehand. You might ask alternatively, just a moment ago, we said, we said that in a situation of safek, of uncertainty, I say that, don't eat it, wait until after the holiday. Tosafot asks that question. Tosafot says we have enough certainty over here for whatever reason, back to A.B. and Jeffrey's our conversations. When you go to sleep in a farm, we assume under most circumstances, the same ones that were there, they look the same and they're kind of the same number and all that sort of thing. It's the same one. So as a result, that trumps it over here. And therefore, our halachic assumption is, my ta'ama hane inhu ninhu, these are the same ones, vehad minayu, and one of them, azal le'ama, left the pack. Said the Gemara, lema matnitin ribihi Shall we suggest that our Gemara over here, our Mishnah, follows the opinion of Rabbi and not the Hachamim, who are Rabbi and Hachamim? Rabbi is Rabbi Udahanasi. Rabbi Udahanasi is the editor, as we attribute uh, all the time in the Gemara, of the Mishnayot. Hachamim are the majority opinion who will dispute him. What does it have to, we're going to bat in a moment, going to find out who Rabbi and Hachamim are. Uh, what's the problem? So you're going to tell me our Mishnah, it's almost as if you have a question. Should we say our Mishnah follows the opinion of Rabbi and not the Hachamim? Yeah, why not? All right. I mean, so the Rashi explains uh, in the third, uh, fourth uh, wide line, or fifth wide line, fourth wide line, he quotes in the Gemara, and the Gemara over there says that the Halakha goes like this. Of course, we have principles with regards to you have A versus B. Who wins? B versus C. Who wins? Halakha in the Gemara. Um, Abaye versus Rava. Halakha ke Rava, except for Ya'al Kigam, six cases, and so forth. Now, Halakha is Halakha kirbi mehavero. Rabbi, Rabbi Udanasi, the editor of the Mishnayot, he always wins when it's one against one. However, velo mehaverav. He doesn't win when he goes against the majority. If there's a majority, two opinions versus him, he loses over there. Our Mishnah doesn't record names. Our Mishnah is what you call a Stam Mishnah. We assume the Halakha is like our Mishnah. That's going to pose a problem in terms of method- methodology, in terms of Pesach Halakha. On the one hand, I know that Rabbi, in a debate that we're going to read about in a moment, should lose in terms of Halakha, because it's going to be a majority against him. On the other hand, our Mishnah, which is presenting this as the only opinion without recording a name, should it be the Halakha as well? That's why we're getting nervous. Should we say our Mishnah is Rabbi and not the Hachamim? Can't be, because then the Halakha wouldn't be that way. So why doesn't the Mishnah record the opinion of Hachamim? Says the Gemara, so let's just begin this uh, very briefly for a moment and uh, return to it uh, after the weekend. Detanya, the following case in the Beraita. Hachamim 
מנה מונח ומנה מוטל, דברי רבי, חכמים אומרים הכל חולין. Without getting into the specifics, because it's not appropriate for us to do so right now, the circumstance situation is a doubt with regards to ma'asir sheni. You see, with regards to taking uh, your tithes and your uh, responsible donations, of course, every time you have your produce, you have to first take tirumah. Tirumah is given to the Kohen. Beyond tirumah, you have ma'asir rishon, your first tithe, which is given to the Levi. And then there's what's called ma'asir sheni. Ma'asir sheni is your second tithe, which is taken for yourself. So you took from your produce, and you're supposed to bring it to Jerusalem and eat from it there, betahara. Hang on a second. So the situation is such that the Torah tells you it's going to be sometimes very hard. You don't live so close to Jerusalem. Your legs are hurting you. You have business that you need to be involved with. I can't get right away to Jerusalem with my new produce. What I can do instead is I can redeem. I could do a pidyon on my new produce, take it and put money to the price of what that produce. The produce is now permitted to eat outside of Yerushalayim. That money needs to be brought up to Yerushalayim where I'll buy food and I'll enjoy it in Jerusalem in place of the food. The situation in turn is the following. I redeemed my produce. So I have a maneh, I have a hundred zoos, I have a, I have a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars over here in a bag. And that was for ma'asir sheni. But now when I return back, uh, there's two coins there. What's the status? I know there was one coin originally. What's the status now of these two coins? Uh, one other one got entered in. Where'd it come from? Alternatively, I had two coins, two manes, 200 zoos of ma'asir sheni. I come back and one's missing. What's the status of that? Of course, you can understand that's going to be relevant to our Mishnah, the two birds and three birds and three birds and two birds. We'll return to that next week. Baruch Amen.